This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Eat Sleep Arsenal Repeats podcast on the Guna Talk. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, this morning, this afternoon, wherever you happen to be in the world. Thank you so much for making this a part of your weekly routine and hopefully improving your weekly routine as well by listening to it. As always, thank you so much. Uh, do drop a like, do subscribe and do welcome my regular guests to the show. First of all, it's the Doc. How are you doing, Raj? You good? You well? Yeah, doing well. Eight points up, so doing great. You never sound convincing when I ask you. <laughs> but yeah, I'm it's, all right. It's day to day, man. It's day to day. The same way Arsenal take life, I take life the same way. Yes. Every day. Training every day. by training, as Arteta is now calling it, which I found rather amusing in his press conference, indeed. Um, we're also joined by the host of the Highbury Squad. It's Sophie. How are you doing, Sophie? You good, Joel? At ease, everyone. At ease, I'm here. It's all good. Eight points clear, like the doc says, ready to rock and mm. roll. And I have my very own health tip for the end of the show. Ooh, oh, now you're putting Owen uh, <laughs> to come up with something. <laughs> He's now racking his brains. What should I do? Speaking of which, Owen, how are you? You good? You well? I'm good, buddy. I'm good, yeah. There's nothing better to get over the stress of Christmas than Newcastle Spurs and United all within quick succession. My heart mm. isn't really fit for this at the minute, so I'm stumbling through, but um, everything's working out quite swell at the minute. <laughs> Indeed, absolutely. So you're both actually going to be over in the UK very soon, indeed. Mm-hmm. I mean, when are you over? When are you coming? I uh, arrive Sunday morning, so I'll be, be in London at say, maybe 9, 9.30 in the morning, and then I'm, it's a quick hit. I'm, I'm back out in the, on the Monday evening. Lovely stuff. So I arrive on Friday uh, morning, uh, direct from La La Land. So I'm really looking forward to it. I, sh- I should clarify for, for the doc. This wasn't like an organized thing and we're not leaving you out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, um, <laughs> it's just a bit of a spontaneous thing that happened to be at the same time. But if you want to just hop on a flight to the UK, feel free. Uh, you're more than welcome. <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> Um, no, it's going to be great. I could look forward to seeing both of you um, as I have planned. I desperately tried to get to the Manchester United game. I did everything I could. I sent emails. 
I, I, I tried to bribe the club to let me in, but still there is no space in these home Premier League games beyond Kaya. I was tempted to try and just kidnap Kaya and say, oh, he can't go to this one. Um, but no, it didn't work. So uh, I hopefully will be at the next one, which will be the Man City uh, away game in the FA Cup, which of course we'll discuss in next week's uh, podcast. But um, we can't really go any much further into this podcast without, of course, talking about the North London derby um, and the weekend, of course, before the North London derby. I will talk about the health aspect shortly, um, but just to get reactions to the derby, Raj, what an amazing performance, an amazing win. uh, And of course, sending us eight points clear at the top of the table. What are your thoughts? I mean, yeah, I mean, it was one of the easiest away NLDs that I've seen in a long, long time. I think part of that is just, just Conte's, for whatever reason, Conte's Tottenham, they don't have that intensity from the start. And we've seen it all season, right? They have to go down like 2-0 before they actually start to like actually challenge and play with intensity. And that plays right kind of right into our style of play, which is going to be all over you from the start with that high press, that trigger press. And then, you know, Lloris, um, some of his mistakes play right into that as well. So they're just that it's almost like our style of play right now is completely takes advantage of the way that they play. And it, it was, just, it was comfortable. It was comfortable football. I think the only threat that they really had was off our mistakes, a couple of misplaced passes from Partey, but he made up for it in other ways. I mean, almost had potentially one of the best goals in a North London Derby of all time off the shin, which was incredible. Just the mm. power off the shin, but yeah, no, it was, I mean, great performance. I thought we handled handled their response well in the second half as well, and and we know we kind of just played it out. Of course, you know the stuff at the end of the game. I think Richarlison doesn't get enough kind of isn't getting enough enough for what he did at the end of the game. For no, he, he was honestly he was being a bit of a prick the whole time since he came on. <laughs> yeah, so, he really was for no reason, and so and, I mean you don't step into that, especially when Ramsdale's. He's bantering with the crowd the entire time. Like that's not on you to get in the way of that. It just escalates things further. But anyways, I mean, I mean, honest, easy game. And in a North London derby, that's um, I think that's the best compliment you can give because you never know what's going to happen in these rivalry games. Absolutely, Sophie. It was um, a performance that, to be honest, I don't know. It's fair to say that I wasn't expecting. I hate the build-up to this game more than any mm-hmm. game in the away North London derby. The nerves, the the, the doubts that kind of creep into your mind because of how bad the record is. But it was like almost as if the game started. All of that doubt, all of that frustration and angst evaporated. Even before we scored the first goal, I was like, no, we look good. And it feels a matter of time until we not only score, but but win. It was, as, as Raj said, probably the easiest NLD we've seen in a long, long time. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm I'm still nervous at 90 minutes with five minutes of added time. I don't know what it is. It's probably because it's the rivalry and anything can happen. But, yeah, it was very comfortable. I actually think that first 45 minutes was probably, I don't know if I'm exaggerating, for for me, I felt it was like our most complete game of football, barring some errand passes from the midfield, like the doc said. I just thought that, once the game started, we were in total control of that game. Even our home game against them was really good. But in the second half, we let them get in Liverpool. We commanded that first half, second half, you know, kind of got um, a little bit too close for comfort. But this was just dominant. And 
not to exaggerate, but I felt like it had that Barcelona pass the ball, take the ball, feel about it, and Pep's type of vibe. And mm. and it was just masterful, I thought. And they had fear in their eyes. Like literally, I think they chat the bed before the game um, even mm. started. And they were, it, it just felt like they came in thinking that we were going to lose. And Super Kev's talked on our show about intimidating teams. And it's been years since we've done that. From the tunnel to kind of the pitch, the way we play, we totally intimidated them. We suffocated them. Um, I think Richarlison is a punk. And if he doesn't get punished, uh, I think Arsenal fans should protest and do everything they possibly can to just really make sure that this doesn't go unpunished. What jar, what Bush league behavior from him? You know, my partner doesn't really watch Tottenham games. She only watches the North London Derby. And she's like, who is the prick? I've used that word because the doc did yeah. with bleach blonde, which with the bleached hair. And I go, oh, welcome to, you know, meeting Richarlison. Mm. He does really good things off the pitch. Like people in Brazil really love him. He's really quite a, a, a community guy. But mm. on the pitch, he, he's like Jekyll and Hyde. Um, so the fact that we won and we rolled them up, the, the Tommy Yasu spat on the sideline, the non-fist pumping Martinelli wow. when yeah. he, the corner. I mean, how juvenile. And I love that we got to them in that way. So it was just glorious for so many reasons. And that, for me, was just beautiful. I don't even want to yeah. talk about the fan that kicked Ramsdale. What an absolute plonker. He should be mm. banned from football. And if that was on the street, he would have been arrested immediately. Well, as of the time of recording, uh, the 35-year-old man, believe it or not, uh, that he is, has indeed been uh, arrested, uh, we believe, uh, with uh, on suspicion of assault uh, and entering the field of play. And I think there's a third charge, actually, as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's information you can find about that all over social media if you want to get the details about that. But uh, Real quick, Tom, uh, the yeah. worst thing that he did that you know no one's really talking about i don't know if they are in england and stuff but the mm. fact that he turned away and ran away like a child mm. like who had just yeah. stolen the cookies when their parents told them not to that is just dis that to Excellent. me was just yeah it was disgusting I think the third charge is being a Spurs fan, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah, there's 59,000 charges going on in that stadium that evening. Goodness me. Um, Owen, just kind of last word on on reactions to the derby and obviously what this means. It, it, I, the game I compared this to was Bournemouth away earlier in the season where we just really didn't allow the opposition anything. Yeah, they had kind of a few spells in the second half and Spurs do tend to be a second half side, but we just suffocated them. We knew exactly what we were doing. And if you kind of compare that to last season, there was a number of changes to the starting eleven: Ben White, Saliba, Zinchenko and Partey all there. Is that the difference between Arsenal then and now or is it just beyond those four players? Yeah, well, going back to last year's North London Derby, obviously it ended with you know horrific, uh, a horrific outcome, and the consequences of that loss were were absolutely huge. But I think that when you look back to that, not to focus too much on on that one, but mm. when you look back at it, I think when the media are you know looking back at that and referring to it, in in regards to the build up to this match, something that a lot of people overlook was yes, definitely the absentees and the side, and not only that, the officiating on the night I think was absolutely diabolical. You know. Um, I think it was Rob Holding that got sent off pretty early in that game. You yeah. know, there was some questionable decisions as well. But listen, going into this game, I, th I think as well, 
everybody always says I think form goes out the window and this was far from that case Spurs just look like an absolutely depleted side you know the whole second half AFC thing uh, is, is, is always being thrown about as a bit of a banter piece but Arsenal are re- renowned this season for for coming out the gates pretty quick and, and trying to get that job done very very fast the first half in my opinion was just exemplary of exactly that that is our Teta ball and, and the frightening thing is is that this is our difficult period and this is without one of our most pivotal players in Gabriel Jesus and mm. I mean I'm I'm very quick to throw um to throw criticisms at Eddie and Kedia but by God is he stepping up to the mark at the minute and and the effort that kid has put into improving the deficiencies in his game that we're letting him down are, are just monumental um it, it had everything that a derby had you know in the second half yes Spurs come on a bit quicker but look there's going to be a natural dip in in output from uh the side that are turning it up you know the, the players really want to be throwing themselves into crazy tackles and stuff like that when they're in a secure position and big games coming up i don't think so um you know uh, the the spot with granite jacket and antonio conte on the sideline uh michael arteta chasing after granite jacket the memes oh, that come shit. out of this game were absolutely endless it's look it's a little sour that it ended the way it ended you know with uh, as everybody has touched on richarlison who i think um you see some of the footage and there was close fist contact to the face um darren ramsdale yep. who let's be honest let's let's give Aaron ramsdale some applause because there's a lot of players that either would have reacted by mm. um retaliating with some level of physicality or there's other players like Hoiberg who would have went to the ground trying to seek some you know uh, extra punishment that was embarrassing for the, so, the penalty call yeah well but look um nothing and and i think everybody here can admit that straight away when i seen the first player i can't remember who it was running towards the away fan i away fans i said to my missus when we were sitting watching the game this is just like when we won the league at white hart lane it just it brought you back to that moment and it just shows you how far we've come from that loss to spurs there last season Mm. I, I think it is a combination of you know the differences in players, but you know the, the amount of improvement that can be shown in such a short space of time as a collective. Also, the fact that the referee dictated that game, you know, significantly the penalty call on Cedric, which was a joke, you know, that gave them that lead and that foothold and that confidence to then continue. And you know, we had Rob Holding and Cedric on the right hand side, and against Huminson, I, you know, I, I have been critical, I think, fairly of Arteta at times, and I think not playing Tomiyasu on the right to deal with Son during that game last year, last season, was probably one of the errors of last season, potentially as much as playing Jacker at left back against Brighton was was also an error this season we've seen such composure and you know I think strength in his decision making and his selections Tom Yasu playing at left back against Liverpool is a great example of that and of course choosing to play Zinchenko so often now who is just such a transformative figure in in that back line he's crucial uh, I, re- I remember Tom I said when we were linked with uh, Lissandro Martinez at the time mm. and I think it was on your show I said that I would rather have um, Alexander Zinchenko for 60 odd million than mm. Than Lissandro Martinez for thirty. Yeah, me and Soph were, were early bangers of the Zinchenko drop. We were, we were <laughs> big time, big time. Yeah. Big There's time. that show. I think it's on Harry. Is it Harry or your channel where we're discussing kind of the players? It that we might want to sign be on our players. channel. We did a top yeah. five, I think, of players, and Zinchenko mm. was right up there for for mm. you and me. By the way, I changed my tube sign to mind the gap for Tottenham fans because I was on a Tottenham show, so I I changed the Arsenal to mind the gap. Brilliant. 14, 14 points, is it? I, I lost count. I don't know. Yeah, I think we have all lost count. Go on, Raj. 
Oh, I was say, I thought Conte was quite naive too with that two man midfield, especially mm. when he knows Zinchenko was playing and he's going to drop into that inverted position. I mean, their midfield was, we were bypassing it like that. So um, mm. I know he loves that formation and he wanted to put, that's what he likes to do, but it was tactically naive. It was never going to work the way that he had it set up to start. Am um, I right in saying that was Sars' first start for Spurs? I think it might have been his first in the Premier League. He st- it might have been his first Premier in League. In the start. Premier League, I think so, because yeah. I think he started one of the cup games. But you yeah. know on the Spurs shows shows um that I was on, the mm, one I did complaint see, yeah. they, they all have, guys, is okay, he's a he's a winning manager and he's you know, he's got a great resume, but why can't he adapt? You know, mm. he like he's not adaptable and he's not changing anything. And their biggest fear was our, and I spoke to Lee Dixon too, and, and he said the same thing. If Saka and Martinelli, the way they play, their wingbacks are on toast, you yeah. know. And Benton Core, I know, probably would have maybe changed the dynamic in that midfield the mm-hmm. same way he's become so important to them. But Tottenham fans, they were very like, if he doesn't change it up, if he doesn't try and be adaptable, we're... You know, we're we're toast. But say every person I've spoken to on our show, when I say what is your biggest fear about facing Arsenal, the answer is the same. Saka and Martinelli. Because the width kills them. Absolutely and and they have and I'm so happy and they have wasted Human Son and Harry Kane. Absolutely wasted. They brought in Kulisevsky, a player I really rate. I'm gutted he's playing for them. They brought a player like that in too late to complement those. They've not added any creativity to the midfield to, to free those players in the front. Like, we've got Martin Odegaard in that midfield. And it's the absence of that kind of player for them. Like, you look through their, their transfer business they've done in the years that Pochettino was there. You know, in 2014, Ben Davis and Federico Fazio, of course, Deli Ali came in and Mourinho just ruined, absolutely ruined him, kind of, kind of absolutely brilliantly. Uh, Toby Alvarez and Human Song came in in 2015. Uh, Musa Sissoko was bought for like more than 30 million. You know, Vincent Janssen came in for 22 million. Vic- <laughs> these are Euros, by the way. Victor Wanyama. They just never brought in that. A creative spark ever. Davison Sanchez, 42 million euros. They Lucas whiffed Mora. on getting Ericsson back. Yeah, absolutely. What he's Ericsson. doing now, United. But it's, it, 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 isn't it funny that I think, look, first of all, I think Paul Merson, I think, comes out with a lot of things that you could overlook, but he, he was pretty <laughs> spot on when he mentioned the fact that any side, not a big six side, that is playing with a five at the back with two holding midfielders. Yeah. should not be conceding goal with the frequency that Tottenham Hotspur are. And let's face it, the, the hypocrisy from the media, uh, mainstream media, Tom, will say that, not to insult yourself and your colleagues, but for <laughs> <laughs> fair shots over here, but the hypocrisy... And from, as well. <laughs> I'm so sorry, sorry. I suppose you write too, Raj. I'm sorry to you too. Um, but and, <laughs> but um, the hypocrisy, because six months ago, I remember sitting here and they were thinking, Antonio Conte, brilliant. He's going to bring Spurs a trophy. They have won the transfer window with Jed Spence and, you know, who have oh, Parasits mm. and these players. And yeah. suddenly now you listen to listen to Talk Sport, listen to Sky Sports, listen to any of them. And the thing that they're saying is this is neglect from the ownership and Daniel Levy. It's very, very funny that they were praising them for winning a transfer window at the start of the season. And now the bi- biggest excuse is the incomings and, and the, the ownership of the club. It's just, it's hilarious. And, and I'm here for it front row. You know, can I just add real quick? There was, 
I don't think I've had a more satisfying moment in doing like a Sky Sports news segment than I did on Monday morning when they asked about Mudrick. And I know we'll get to that, but because mm. you're talking about them winning the transfer window to defend our club and mention the Gary Neville, what is Arsenal's transfer policy, you know, versus, well, what is Tottenham's? What is Chelsea? I yeah. I just took the moment and, you know, when you just get the, the fastball, but you can hit it right out the park. Um, Doc will yeah. know that as a Giants fan, I'm sure. It was so satisfying, Owen. So, yeah, spot on about that. I mean, after their first how many games, it was like, oh, uh, be careful of Tottenham when they hit fifth gear. Uh, it's it, it's just crazy, craziness to have thought that they won the transfer window. With those yeah. Dodgers fan. Dodger fan. I have, to, I have to clarify. Dodger fan, not Giants fan. There you go. Important to clarify. I do apologize that. sincerely. <laughs> that is like saying Tottenham fan. Wow. Sorry, dog. Yeah. I apologize. I'm just going to go in a corner and put myself in detention. <laughs> uh, no it was genuinely as you know that performance from Spurs and the decision making and the, everything that's kind of led to this point is as embarrassing as match of the day's coverage of the Liverpool Wolves game this evening uh, which if you haven't seen the clip uh, going and doing the rounds make sure you seek it out uh, after you've listened to this podcast it's it's very amusing indeed um, but uh, yeah moving kind of forwards uh, there was obviously an absence in the game which was Mohamed Elneny he had a knock in training we haven't got any details about that, unfortunately, yet. Mikel Arteta will, of course, face the media ahead of the game against Manchester United. That is expected to be, I believe, on Friday, to my understanding. So I'm sure he'll be asked on the latest updates on fitness. Uh, Doc, I do have some things that I am always worried to share with you, depending on the answers I'm going to get these days. Um, but uh, the first one is a video of Reese Nelson that he's posted to his Instagram page. I'm hoping you can see this. You can indeed. Um, him now running uh, on a treadmill. He suffered, obviously, a hamstring injury in that game against Juventus. Seeing this type of movement, is this encouraging that with a hamstring injury that he, he obviously suffered, that he should hopefully be back on the field sometime soon? Yeah, it's good news. Anytime. I mean, the pace there isn't that high. But, but we know that the the stress through the hamstring when you're running is, is can be quite high. So it's, it's good news that he's doing that. And they'll increase that pace. They'll put him then probably start through multi-directional as well. And then, then we'll really see kind of how he responds. The key with these, it's hard to really say, you know, seeing a player do that, it's all about how they respond to some mm. of that. So, and that we don't, obviously we're not privy until we see the next, the next one, right? So... Mm, absolutely um and again at the risk of being told uh what i'm looking at this last time of course yes gabriel jesus is not using crutches anymore but he's now working with a ball uh, as well there's inside, a ball at his feet oh there's a ball at his feet <laughs> um now the, the jesus is an interesting one because i don't know if you've been listening to our te- talk about jesus recently a lot of people are kind of reading deeply into some of those comments because he's not talking about him in any kind of short terminology still He's still using the word months uh, when he talks about him. And considering months, plural, would be more March than February, does that, has that concerned you or you just, is, are we reading too much into it at that stage? I thought the context that he used was that we'll have him back for, or hope to have him back for the final months, mm. right? I think that's what he said. So that's, that's arbit- what does that mean? What is the final month? That's all arbitrary, right? And so... But I think when Mikel, something you even saw with the Jaka injury, and there's a long-term injury, he's very vague. He never puts pressure on players to return. So I don't read too much into anything that he says when it comes to when it comes to this. He's like him, Pep. I think Klopp's probably one of the best at actually being more straightforward. But you know, Pep, 
uh, Mikel, uh, Conte is like this as well. I don't really put much into what, what they're saying. I look more at the progress that you're seeing objectively. And in this case, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. I think the, the key thing is that he's progressing. I think that's, that's the key thing that he's continued to do more with that knee. It's hard to really say where he is. Mm. I think we're really going to know more about that when he gets back to running. He's not even running. If I'm not mistaken, like in a pool or on an altered G treadmill, because that puts a lot of load through that knee. And then once he goes from that to more multi-directional stuff, especially side to side, that's when you're going to try to start to see more of, okay, he's getting closer to returning to at least on pitch stuff. Doc, just something that I've seen on, on Twitter was a picture of him when he was initially uh, taken out of the boot and he was doing some, I think it was that 75% picture that everyone will have seen. And I don't know what the medical term for this is, but his baby leg. <laughs> um, how, how common is that for, you know, to see... Uh, quite a significant um, deterioration of the muscle around the leg and, and how quickly can that build back up? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite common. Have you, have you seen Tom's legs? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I lied earlier on. I did invite both of them over. I didn't invite you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's right. You got, you know, you know, muscular atrophy right so and he was in that extension brace uh extension brace meaning he he wasn't allowed to really have any motion through it so um like for example there's even uh there's research showing two weeks of bed rest meaning no movement you lose half your muscle mass so in this case he's not really doing anything on it so your muscle will atrophy quite quickly but then in his case for an elite level athlete who's in great shape prior it can return quite quickly as well yeah, yeah, indeed. There's hope for everybody, Owen. Trust me, uh, you'll get there. Um. <laughs> wow, you can lose muscle mass in two weeks. So if you're on bed rest, you'll lose half your muscle mass on average. Wow. So people wow. who have long-term health issues and stuff like that, and they have to be in bed like that, can, that's devastating, huh? Absolutely, absolutely. So that it starts like that vicious cycle, right? Mm. You lose your muscle mass. Now it's harder to move. It's more painful for, to move. Therefore, what you you move less, and then you see really people declining over time. Imagine lockdown had a massive impact. You know. Yeah, if you're not if you're not an athlete, like how do you? Yeah, that's craziness. Like how how yeah, you lose it over months, but building it back takes months. I guess it does. Yeah. It does. And I mean, I I always recommend you know if you're in that position, you know, reach out to someone who might know more than you do. So. Mm. Right. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Let's talk about transfers. Um, Of course, since we last recorded a couple of weeks ago, we uh, have missed out on Mahalo Mudrik and uh, he's gone to Chelsea. Uh, I I want to quickly start off. Brief question, so no need to elaborate on this one, but uh, what did we do? Did we do anything? Did we cheat in any way that evening to take our minds off of the damning transfer news to tell you what I did? I went to a steakhouse with some friends um, and uh, ordered a... It was actually a US fillet steak because it's one of those places where you go where you look at the menu like, this is ridiculously expensive, right? Stupidly expensive. And I was like, if I'm here, I'm going to you know, I'm gonna go for it. I might as well. So I did. And it was, yeah, I've never spent more on a, on a steak before, but it was uh, it was gorgeous. It was absolutely gorgeous. So that was my cheat to take my mind off Madrid. Raj, did you have any, uh, uh, any scooping of ice cream? I know you're a big fan. No, I was, I mean, it's funny. I was actually 
kind of happy that we didn't go. Really? <laughs> I, I was happy that we didn't um, go away from our approach that's gotten us here. I know we're going to touch on Eddie with them in a little bit, but to me, mm. discipline, process, and approach is what has underpinned the transformation of the club. And this was a continuation of that. And so um, I was, to me, and, and you really see that when the stress is on, so obviously we we know we know we need reinforcements. We know there's a rival club coming in, but we still stuck to our guns. We still held firm. So I was actually once I kind of heard about what happened in that process. I to me it was actually kind of uh, reassuring that that our club continues to be on the up and up. Mm. So I just switched Twitter off after going back and forth trying to make mm. sense uh, with Arsenal fans and and just literally my argument was you you wanted Vlavic we got Jesus you wanted Lissandra Martinez we got Zinchenko and you can go back there's others uh, and you know keep the faith eight points clear something's something's happening so no I did not binge at all in fact I had a healthy spinach salad with endamame peas uh, tomatoes cucumber and a little feta cheese doc just sprinkled on top mm. there you go Owen did you uh I know obviously we were in the TGT chat and uh I, I certainly you know kind of walked away from conversations around it because I was just yeah done done with it at that stage I needed to, investing so much time into one story and for it to, to do that was uh yeah it was painful yeah man look, look, the first thing I'm gonna say is that I can't cheat because I don't really keep any rules on myself. I'll be very, very honest, okay? <laughs> Every day is a cheat day. I, I'm, a, I'm a free... You're talking I'm about fr- food. I, mean, I just <laughs> want to make sure you're talking about yeah. food. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, can she... Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm a free soul. I can't be pinned down. Look, I, I the reason I'm doing this competition is because I'm competitive. I'm not really... The, the way I know my process normally works by punishing yourself through fitness to make yourself realize how out of shape you are and then you want to make changes for performance reasons rather than health reasons that's the way i work it's just it's just my process okay it takes it takes a while but in regards to the michaela mudrick thing look i was disappointed i wasn't disappointed with edu i wasn't disappointed with michaela arteta or the ownership i was disappointed for the amount of time that was put in to try to attain this player and it's simply being hijacked by a mercenary who's, in my opinion, completely destroying the game, destroying the market. Where does this go? How does the market recover from from acquisitions like this, like Anthony, like Cucurea? You're looking at players like I remember Fernando Torres moving to Chelsea, and I, I get there's inflation with time, but you know the the more this is a guy who's made 30 senior appearances and and he's moving for a hundred million pounds. Um, I sort of mentioned um to to his before the podcast i was i was pretty disappointed with michaelo mudrick uh, myself initially i thought how do you do you twerk for a side so publicly and then seemingly just completely beeline within a matter of hours and 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 uh walk away from your so-called dream move but listen none of us know the circumstances um that that move happened under none of us know the pressures on that guy personally so um I suppose you can't really hold it easy. He's a young kid too, you know what I mean? So when the carrot's being dangled in front of you by someone like Todd Bowley, the, sometimes it's difficult to walk away from it. Um, the yeah. only thing I would say is now is that whilst they have a lot of trust in Edu and Arteta and complete faith in them, and uh, I absolutely love them both, is that they've got their work cut out now because at this stage, it isn't about, compl- it's not completely about, I should say, 
it fitting the process or fitting the the um the profile of player that we commonly want to approach at this time it's about getting bodies through the door because when european football returns when um some of these other big games return when injuries are picked up the position that we have put ourselves in isn't to be snuffed at you know to, to me it would be a, be a complete waste of an opportunity not to at least get some bodies through the door no it would it would be a waste and i think um you know happiness has on, a lot on, to so. Sorry, Tom. I, I also like how we answered your question to say quickly, really not quickly, yeah, um, but real quick. Uh, I, I, we were talking about how long has it been since we've seen Arsenal players not happy to play for the club and now you see this happiness. Is he going to be happy at Chelsea? That will affect how he plays. If you're not happy in your job, we've all been there as well. It works both ways no matter what industry you're in. So it'd be interesting to see how he is um, when he when he actually plays. Maybe he's just one of those guys that can switch all the emotions off and, and mm. play. Um, I don't know. Yeah, how he, you know, I, I've, I don't think I've ever been invested more in a player failing. <laughs> I, I really do want to see Madrid. Well, you did a phenomenal fail. special, which yeah. <laughs> I know Chelsea fans uh, have uh, reaped the benefits of as well. Yeah, indeed. I, as I, I think I mentioned, so someone commented on that saying Mudrick is blue, and I was like, Mudrick is tenth. <laughs> you know, yeah, so, that's where Mudrick see, is. See, sometimes I think this is this is where the sport gets sanitized. Sometimes, and look, we all come over and cast our opinions, and some people, to a certain extent, want to have a sort of safety blanket that they don't really want to put their opinion out there. Hmm. I'll say this off the bat, I went from loving that guy to absolutely despising that guy within a minute, okay? <laughs> I'm completely petty. I'm completely just territorial with Arsenal, and I hope that Ben White kicks that kid through the advertising boards at the Emirates and Stamford Bridge the next time we play them. Um, and that's fine. That's okay. That's what competition's all about. That's what the tribalism of football is all about, isn't it? But it's just, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of reception, because we all know that um, Twitter itself does isn't really representative of the, of the everyday match going fan and that mm. that the the feeling around the stadium can be completely different to that online it'll be interesting to see what type of reaction he gets personally the next time he has an interaction with with our fan base mm, well chelsea will arrive at the emirates uh between now and the end of the season so and i imagine he'll play you know so he's going to get a reception i imagine the one i find similar is probably when higuain arrived with napoli for the emirates cup game uh was roundly booed uh because of course the saga that we had associated with him i don't think it was wildly his fault that he didn't move it was in the end arsenals but still just off the back of that there was reaction so yeah Let, let's talk about edu as kind of the last topic before um doc takes a couple of questions raj in terms of Verdu, he has faced backlash. You know, I do a show every single day, and I did a phone-in show on the day after that Madrid left uh, Shatzar for Chelsea. And this, I think, the main frustration for people is a the amount of time we've invested into that saga and ended up obviously with nothing, which I can understand. I understand why we we invested time because I think we genuinely believed we were going to be getting hold of him from the way that he was acting. You know, certainly seemed that he wanted to move to Arsenal. And the other frustration is obviously that it doesn't seem like we're immediately after an alternative and that there's not a clear backup plan right now. So where do you stand on the managing of this situation by Edu and the club? I think I think in, in general. 
you know, the process that you've seen with Edu is a very, it's pretty methodical when it comes to the negotiation process. They put in, they go through multiple stages. And Owen said this earlier, you can't do anything when someone else comes in like that at the last second and pretty much piggybacks off all the hard work that you've done negotiating, right? Like I've been in that position negotiating at a high level and that's extremely frustrating because you're the one who put the work in and now someone just comes in, yeah, we'll give you everything you want. Right. And we'll give you eight and a half years at whatever his salary is. Right. And like, what do you do? There's nothing you can do about that. And so then it becomes really frustrating in that end. But then something that was, you know, we mentioned before is that they've shown to have this ability to move on to other players like, you know, with with the Zinchenko after Lissandro went to United, like that being a prime example. And I think the winter window in general is very, very difficult. We know this historically. And so it's hard to find reasonable deals right now, regardless. And so, you know, it takes two to make a deal. It's not just Arsenal going out there and saying, hey, can we have this guy, right? They want the right profile, but the other the other side also has to be amenable to making a fair deal as mm. well. And I think you know, part of the process here has not been getting ourselves into some of these, you know, silly deals, Kim Kalstrom, um, you know, and, you know, st- stuff like that, where you just want someone to come in and nothing ever, ha- you know, and so I think they're very, very cognizant and weary of that. That being said, like Owen said, at this point, we're going to be, they have to be very, very aggressive because, you know, this opportunity doesn't come all the time to be eight points clear and, you know, potentially more after the weekend, we'll see. But right, it's an op- opportunity that you have to you have to take. And this is going to be the easiest year to win the title. Not easiest because you we're not in Champions League, right? You're only fighting really on two fronts right now, mainly. So I think you can put a lot more resources into the title chase compared to future years. Mm, yeah, um, it's hopeful. It's hopeful. I think that people will start to see the bigger picture once maybe the anger is settled. And I know that we're recording this, you know, days after this has happened. And I think for a lot of people, maybe the anger of that situation has enabled them to open their eyes a bit more to to the bigger picture. But uh, it is it's undeniable to me the progress we've made with Edu as, as now sporting director from um, technical director that he was before. It's not been perfect, so you know mistakes have been made. You know, you think back to last January. I think there's a lot of PTSD from that window, which obviously bleeds into the worries around this window. But where we sit in the table right now is surely evidence that there has been good work that doesn't deserve for after missing out on one player for calls to him to leave the club. I don't know if you can hear the sirens in the background, but they're not coming for a do. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I think that if if we had signed a player in January, I'm not sure there would be as much chaos and noise. Um, And here we are, once again, a focus solely on one player. And so I get some of the frustration. However, to suggest that Edu's failing, he's the reason why, together with Mikel, we're in the position we're in, right? Mm -hmm. He came into the club uh, as an invincible in his new position, And one of the first things that he identified was, what is this apathy and complacency? Everyone around here just acting like, well, we're the, you know, players in particular, you know, they're playing for Arsenal, but they don't care. And he, he really resented that. 
And he wanted to change that culture. And he's said very clearly many times, you know, finishing fourth consecutively is not good enough for this, this team. He also did an interview on Sky Sports. I think it's about 15, 16 months ago now where he projected the concept and the, the, the project of youth and then building on that youth with world-class players. Well, I know that Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus are young guys, but having played for Manchester City and competed at the highest level in the Premier League and in Europe, they can be considered world-class players, right? They've, they've, they have changed the attitude, the mentality of this team. If you heard Ben White's interview the other day, you know, you, you, Jan, uh, Jan Fjortog did an interview with uh, Martin in, in Norwegian, and he said, you know, if someone's not doing what they're supposed to, they will be notified. There's, they've built a culture, and Arsenal 2.0 is in full effect. And nothing gave me more pleasure than defending them on anything I did outside of our show over the last two days. Because being held to ransom is not Arsenal's way. And if you look at the signings that we've made since the Ramsdale, Tommy Yasu, Benjamin White window, I think we've done pretty well. Now, would it be remiss of us not to capitalize on this window to kind of close the deal 100%? I hope not. I hope we do the right thing because I can't deal personally with what would come after that. But I know, like, I don't know, Tom, if you've, from the reports that that was the guy and they don't have backup ideas, I, I don't know, that wasn't Football London that, I read that somewhere. Was that that wasn't no, you? Was it, it wasn't asked. Um, it's certainly been reported. Uh, I think David Ornstein mentioned um, something on the lines that there wasn't like an immediate uh, plan for who would be the guy. You know, after both Ralph Felix and because they wanted both. You know, they were the two players they were looking at as opportunities mm. in this window, and both of them have gone for figures that they just didn't deem viable um, and for structures because it was a similar figure but it was the structure of the deal with Mudrick but that they weren't willing to commit to and I in, in my mind I, I am a little bit surprised that perhaps that's such kind of common knowledge in a way that you know to, to, to claim that there's not an immediate it makes a bit of sense because obviously if you've got such a clear target you know who would be the alternative it depends on the time it depends on the frame of the window who's available at the time as well because if you if we're being honest yes we in an ideal world we want to plan a b c d e or whatever you know in an ideal world we want that but the plan a is is always going to be the the ultimate goal of the club and depending on what window you're in what clubs are selling what clubs aren't selling and especially during the january window it's very difficult you know to sign players and chelsea have now inflated the market to a point where the other name that we're talking about, which is Musa Diaby, by Leverkusen, have supposedly said that they want 100 million because that's what Mudrick went the, for. This is what they've done. This is the Ooh. problem. Like them. And and you know what? I'm glad that, look, I'm not going to sit here and lie. Mudrick would have been phenomenal in our team. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, at some point, you have to say no. And, you know, um, Doc will know Todd Bowley here it doesn't have a super great reputation, you know, and he owns a, a few entertainment outlets and, uh, in, in, you know, companies and stuff like that. People don't generally like doing business with him. Um, and I would rather, and Arsenal fans come at me, I don't care what you say. <laughs> I think right now in the Premier League, the Arsenal Football Club have some of the most 
have the most responsible owners. And me, who wanted Arteta maybe to lose his job after the 8th, 8th, losing to Emery, nil, nil, nil after first three games, I put my hands up and I say, you know what? Thank God we had owners that didn't pull the trigger and that believed in his vision because now look where we're at. And so I personally think that the Cronkies right now and look at the unrest at, you know, Liverpool, not the, the owners wanting to sell Manchester United right now. Uh, look, look what's happened to Chelsea. Look at Everton. That's a perfect Arsenal example, isn't it, in terms of what they wanted? So, you know, for me, I think I'm I'm happy with where we're at and I eat my words and I'm happy to do so because, you know, why all I want is for my club to be successful and I've never been happier um, to be wrong. Absolutely. Owen, final words on this this, uh, Edu fiasco. Yeah, well, look, I think to to put Edu Edu under the microscope of of missed targets, and then complain about having players like uh, Nicola Pepe, like Sia Kalazanak, players like this that were on the books. And I think, I think the thing is as well is you can talk about the the, the transfer fee for Mikhailo Mudrik all you want and the structure. Or the big thing for me, I think, when I look at that, is the wage demands. One of the things that we heard was that it was in around 30, 40, maybe 50 grand a week that Mikhailo mm-hmm. Mudrik was going to be getting. Chelsea have seemingly doubled that or even more um, if you believe it, whichever report you believe. Mm-hmm. But for me, the thing is, when you take players in, when you acquire these players, you never hear of, oh, the club are looking to recoup the exact amount to spend. No, it's they're having difficulty moving him on because he's an underperforming player on a high wage and nobody wants to take on those wages. So that's really good for me, is that that it doesn't matter if it's going to be the unpopular thing. They aren't doing it just to please a fan base. It has to... It, it it has to work into the plans, but I think in regards to what you were talking around there, the the owners, you know, not pulling the triggers and stuff like that. I really think that we need to stop refer, referring to the Cronkies in in in, in plural. Uh, to me, you know, there's that old saying: you don't judge a son by the sins of his father, and I think that applies most here because it's almost as if we've had two owners under the same banner. Um, for me, Josh Cronkey is a completely different person with completely different morals and a completely different way of operating. And I think it's so transparent to see that there. You know, you watch the the Amazon documentary and whilst, yes, it is a propaganda piece and it can be created <laughs> however uh, the club wanted to be created, I, I think it's genuine how much he, he, he cares about the club, how much he... Now, you can question what his motivations are, whether that's financial or silverware, whatever it is, but... the. I think the truth is is that he probably does have the club's best interest at heart. And not only does he have the club's best interest at heart, I think he holds a sense of loyalty to both Mikel Arteta and Edu because he's got a personal relationship with those guys. You know, he's in around a similar sort of age. Um, and he seems to really be instilling himself in that sort of day-to-day life at Arsenal more than I ever thought he would. So, look, I'm extremely happy with... The people, like Sophie said, can fire shots all they want with with Vinay, who I thought there was a bit of a strange choice to to put him in the position that he was in, given his qualifications and his background. It was a bit of a strange one for me, but he seemingly left the football and stuff to Mikel Arteta and Edu, which mm-hmm. uh, smart people get themselves out of the way of other smart people. You know, when it's their field, let them handle it. So with the team in the background, I'm completely happy with every single one of them, Edu included. I think he's doing a fantastic job. And I think anybody that is holding him up for scrutiny over one deal 
is obviously overlooking the fantastic work that we've done with this squad because if it wasn't for Edu, we wouldn't be in the position we're in now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ross? Yeah, one comment on KSC. So I, I agree with you know Josh being the face of KSC for Arsenal, but I wrote an article on KSC, I think 18 months ago for Squawka. If you look at how they've handled all their franchises, they have three in the U.S., Avalanche, Nuggets, Rams, and Arsenal. They set the template. You missed the Rapids. Hmm. The little cross oh, the, yeah, Correct. You're right. And the yeah. Rapids, exactly. So in each of those examples, once they found a coach and management they trusted, Sean McVay um, with, the, with Mike Malone, I cannot remember the Avalanche coach, but they, they're, they're, I mean, they won a, uh, their uh, Stanley Cup with, with that. They invested in each of them, and that transferred over now to with Mikel as well. So I think Josh is the face but for Arsenal, but their strategy, if you analyze it, has been the same throughout all of their franchises. Hmm. Uh, Jared Bednar is the uh, Avalanche coach. Uh, so there you go for those that were screaming it uh, at the uh, <laughs> the head. And they could win another championship this year with the Nuggets, Doc. They're they're good. They're loaded. Hmm. I mean, all those those teams are loaded, especially the Avalanche. I mean, the Avalanche rebuilt most mirrors Arsenal. They went yeah. heavy, heavy, incredible project, hmm. and and they have so much talent there. Hmm. There's 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 always going to be residual hate at Arsenal for the Cronkies because yeah. of you know the way in which the from 2007 to 2018 when they were majority shareholders and I know that for some people it's very difficult for them to accept that they didn't want to invest in something that they weren't wholly owners of and at the time I know that I was angry with that and I was frustrated with that period as well I do remember an article back in 2007 though by the Guardian that did say that Arsene Wenger basically and the and uh, I think it was Hillwood also turned down uh, an offer from KSE to invest uh, during 2007 and from that point forward so there was always question marks for me around whether or not actually it was the owners or whether or not it was the people that were really involved in running the club that they were just turning down the offers that were coming in because they wanted to do it their way so is I think there's a little bit of a gray area in that but what we do know now is obviously since 2018 and they have taken full control we have been backed there is investment but there is still structure and there is still principles about how the way we want to go about doing it and I think that's what's got us to where we are if you want to be Chelsea and you know sponge fifth 500 million but sit in 10th be my guest you know but I'm very very happy and I'm glad that I can see things again I will plug it if you haven't seen Tim Cahill's discussion with Roy Keane three years ago in which he sees everything ahead of time go and watch it it's unbelievable foresight and it's really worth uh, a listen because a it embarrasses Roy Keane which is always a worthy watch and two because of Tim working with with Arteta in the past he knew what was coming and it's all come to light as well uh, we'll finish the show uh, Sophie with your your question for the doc which I know you've been saving as well and that'll wrap us up so I have a question for the doc and then I have a tip for the uh, Guna universe uh, firstly doc um, after an intense game like uh, Tottenham, North London derby, playing away from home, the next game, Manchester United. Um, I know there's the usual kind of, they go to training, they replenish, repeat, they keep going. What's your take on what you saw? Like, I know players will be gassed. They put everything into that game. So from a physical point of view, what do you think's happening this week? I mean, the first thing you have to do, the first thing is going to be data-based, right? So you know which players going into it. From the, from the sports science staff, might be a little more fatigued, 
than others. And that might've also played a part in some of the subs as well. And so that's, that's the first way you manage some of that load. And then you're going right away into recovery as well. And then once they're, they're normalized and that's not, not just from the data, it's talking to the physios because they have this huge sample size with players now, right? They're able to kind of understand, you know, who responds better, who might not be telling the full truth, who might be, you know, who's more open and honest with stuff. So that, that's a big gray area and that relationship is important. So first thing you want to do is go straight into that recovery mode, nutrition, sleep, and, and then, you know, you start to dip back to that baseline level of training as well. And so it's really about just a lot of this is just rhythm and process. And I think, and that's another key thing we've seen with this Arsenal team under Mikel Edu is that they've really built the fitness of this team. And Mikel said it when he first started, he said, it's going to take, mm-hmm. he's like, when I got here, the fitness was appalling. And I remember this past summer, he said, he's finally now happy with the fitness levels. And that's how long it takes. It takes 18 months 24 months to really get player to the level that he wants to play with because I mean, we play with a lot of high intensity burst with the press you know and and kind of the way that we play right those quick those quick movements and so that's that's going to really really help in maintaining fitness levels and then of course i think we're starting to see i think a key thing with this team we're starting to see guys like thomas Partey finally get over some of his injury struggles and become that physical monster that we saw right in La, in La Liga, which of course helps a lot. Um, knock on, knock on wood, everyone, but um, hopefully that continues. But yeah, the key thing is, I think is just recovery first and then you assess and then you, and then you're going to train and manage some of that training load heading into that United game. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you had a tip, Soph? Yeah, I didn't know if Owen wanted to ask his question first before I give my tip. So uh, I think he, yeah, he's okay. So <laughs> okay, clear. So I don't know what the doc thinks of this in terms of heart rate and stuff, but he will slap me on the wrist. However, I got through the North London derby, um, and I found with high. I've done this before, and with the Man United game and the City games coming that we have, I've got these rubber bands. So I've been pacing up and down in the living room and I thought, hold on a second, let me get my rubber bands. So I put my rubber bands on my ankles and I'm like going left and right, going left and right. And then I'm getting my rubber band here. And it really helped me get through that game. And at the same time, I was also exercising. And with the doc's uh, blessing, I'm telling you, Gunas, it worked. And I killed Mm -hmm. two birds with one stone. And I wasn't drinking alcohol during the game well, there you go. Lovely stuff. I mean, uh, that's a drop. On, that's I... a drop. The exercise mic moment. <laughs> yeah, great. I mean, that's something we call like. I mean, something I'll recommend to people who are like, let's say, usually just like during cardio, just put something on that you want to watch while you're doing it. Right, mm. watch a half of Arsenal. You're through 45 minutes of cardio, and you won't even notice the minutes go by. Right, and so although I mean, in a, I, I maybe you don't want your heart rate that high while you're doing it, but um i do want to give a plug to the strava group as well before we wrap up uh www.strava.com slash clubs slash e-s-a-r-p um i have been getting back underway with my my daily jogs trying to do a, a mile a day as much as i can some days it's been silly cold uh yesterday when i was running home it hailed 
it was so painful trying to run in the hail, but I did manage to finish it. Um, and uh, I've done a fair few this week. To give a shout out to the group, we've now got, uh, I think, over 70 athletes, 77 members in the Strava group, which is great. So if you haven't already joined up, I can tell you that this uh, last week, James Neal uh, did the most uh, time in Strava, 13 hours worth of activities. Fantastic stuff. Uh, Hemming was the highest number of activities with 14 uh, in seven days. So doing two exercises a day, which is great. Uh, and Scott Newell did the longest distance, I assume, cycling uh, with 179.4 kilometers uh, in last week. So uh, there is a leaderboard in that club, uh, which you can get involved in. We've had members meet one another for Arsenal matches. It's an amazing community that's gradually building. So as I said, www.strava.com slash clubs slash E-S-A-R-P. That's Eat, Sleep, Arsenal, repeat podcast. So there you go. Um, Raj, thank you so much for your time, my friends. Much appreciate. Tell people where they can find you. Find me at 3CB Performance on pretty much all social media channels. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the time, as always. Pleasure. Soph, always a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. Can't wait to see you in London town. And um, if I could just plug one thing we did on the show this week. Mm. As an Arsenal fan, if you did, if you missed our Vic Akers show, please listen to it. He's a legend of the club. He's actually the most successful Arsenal manager of all time and mm. changed the women's game. A revolutionary, worked with George Graham and Wenger, uh, gave us some good nuggets and stories. And um, if you can swing by and check that out, I'd be grateful. Thank you. There you go. You can find that at the Highbury Squad. So make sure that you are indeed looking over there for all Sophie's content. And lastly, Owen, thank you so much for your time again. I look forward to seeing your fine self next week. Yeah, exactly. You can find me at the Tarlington probably at about nine <laughs> o'clock in the morning, knowing Mike. Um, no, looking forward to getting over a buddy and it'll be good to see you in person again. Absolutely. Um, Araj, I wish you uh, hopefully in the future to be able to come and see us. I do. Um, but uh, until then, uh, thank you everybody for listening, of course. Do drop a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. You can find myself at Tom Cantor Media at the Guna Talk TV on Twitter. Uh, and of course, all that lovely stuff as usual. Uh, I would have given you an announcement about something that you needed to spot in the stream at 8am, which would have been earlier on today. So make sure you look out for that and give us some feedback on that. But other than that, it's been a genuine pleasure as it always is to join you in I'll see you again very, very soon. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go. And you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.